0: We are in our last uh, Sunday of our series called Life in the Arena when obedience, when obedience to God means defiance. And what we're looking at is what does it look like and what does it mean when walking in obedience to God is going to mean defiance toward the world? When simply living in obedience to Jesus, living in affirmation of, of Jesus as our Lord and living on mission for Him. When we do that, it is going to cost us. That comes at a cost. And even living right here, right here in East Texas, we live in the arena. And that's easy for us to forget sometimes. It's easy to think this is an issue somewhere else. This is an issue all over the world, but we kind of feel like we're in this bubble. But the reality is we can't forget that even in our culture, This culture is moving progressively further and further away from God, which means living a life of true obedience to Jesus. Passionate in your relationship with him. Unrelentingly committed to Jesus. That life is going to come at a cost. And so, we are in Hebrews chapter 11 this morning. If you want to grab your Bible and go there with me. Um, We're in Hebrews chapter 11. And the writer of Hebrews is writing... This entire letter to the church, to a group of people who were experiencing severe persecution. They were experiencing severe hardship just because they were followers of Jesus. And they were losing their homes and their jobs. They were being pressed out. They were being kicked out of their families. Um, They were being imprisoned, having everything taken from them and even having their lives Threatened, and because of the severity of the persecution that these believers were under, many of them started to abandon the faith. And so the writer is writing this letter and he's imploring them don't give up, stand strong, remember who Jesus is. He's trying to encourage them to be confident in the gospel and confident in the sufficiency. Of Christ. And so, one of the ways that he does that in chapter 11 is he starts to walk us through what I call the Heroes of the Faith. I didn't make that up, but it's this Heroes of the Faith Hall of Fame. And so, he walks us through all these amazing Old Testament heroes who stepped out in faith and lived lives of obedience to God. So Hebrews chapter 11 is really like the Cooperstown of obedience to God. That's, that's what this is, right? And he's showing us how in the lives of these saints and in the lives of these heroes, and we know their stories, they, they walked with a faith. They had an authentic faith that allowed them to live a life of radical obedience. That their belief in God and their belief In what his word says and the promises that he had given position them for lives of radical obedience. And so he walks through all these amazing people. He starts at the very beginning with creation and and Abel. And then he begins to walk through with Noah and Moses. And he just goes through Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And he goes down this list. And so we're going to pick it up after he goes all the way through. And he gets to verse 32. Pick it up right there with me. And it says this. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms. They enforced justice. They obtained promises. They stopped the mouths of lions. They quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword. They were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Now... Up to that point, I'm cheering like crazy. I'm like, yes, give me some. of That sounds awesome. Yes, amen. Bring that on. Defeating the armies? Yeah, I'll take some of that. Conquering death? Thank you. Enforcing justice, obtaining promises, conquering kingdoms, mighty in war, quenching the fire, being resurrected? Yeah, I'll take, I'll take all of that. But, and, and, and while for some of these believers... That came through adversity. The truth is, they came out victorious. But right here in the middle of verse 35, we see a seismic shift. God's Word makes a turn right here. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Shift. But some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy. Wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth, and all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. You essentially see two outcomes that we're looking at right here. Some of them, by faith, defeated the enemy. And others of them, by that same faith, died at the hands of the enemy. Wow. So over these weeks, we have have seen what God did, at the, at the furnace of fire. We have seen what he did in the den of lions. We saw what he did last week before the council of death. And this morning, I, I want us to hear the voice of the martyrs. If you don't know what a martyr is, a martyr who is someone who dies for their faith. And so when we, um, see what God is doing in these lives. When when the book of Hebrews includes these stories of these martyrs, he is doing this because in their death, they give testimony to an unshakable faith that is required of all of us if we're going to stand in the arena. And so we have their stories here and we have their voices here. And I think there's three things we're going to discover from the voices of these martyrs this morning. And the first one is this. It's one that in some measure... We've touched on every week through this series, and it's this. Following Jesus is costly. It's costly. If we have discovered anything about life in the arena, it's this. Following Jesus is costly. Up to verse 35, everything's going great right? It's going awesome. He's pointing out all these heroes and they were obedient and everything worked out great for them. Now it was still costly. It still required courage, but God delivered them. And then you see this shift in verse 35 and the rest of the chapter is in a markedly different tone. And listen, that transition is incredibly important. It's incredibly important. And here's why. Because not all men and women of faith experience miraculous deliverance. Not all men and women of faith experience miraculous deliverance. For some of them, obedience to Jesus meant a life of extreme poverty. Now, we don't like that at all, right? You don't, by the way, you're not gonna hear this preached on TV, ever. They don't preach, they don't preach, come to Jesus, it may not work out. (laughs) You know what I mean? They preach, come to Jesus, because he'll give you the money, you'll never get sick, everything will be fine. These were believers who Jesus called, and in being obedient to that call, they spent their lives in extreme poverty. They spent their lives in unrelenting ridicule. They spent their lives being physically tortured and even dying. And I want you to hear me this morning, believer, authentic faith in Jesus, true faith in Christ is no guarantee of comfort and security in this life. It's no guarantee of comfort and security of this life. God doesn't always work miracles to deliver his people. Sometimes, by faith, God saves us from suffering. And sometimes, by that very same faith, he sustains us through it. And I think that's one of the things that has resonated most with my heart over these four weeks is is remembering that sometimes God is going to rescue And sometimes God is just gonna walk me through it. He's gonna walk me through the fire. He's gonna walk me through the refining. He's gonna walk me through the battle. He's gonna walk me through the difficulty. He doesn't always just snatch us out, right? And here we are looking at these believers, and we don't even know their names. We know them as some, as others. But these unnamed believers who were not delivered from these difficult circumstances, and yet God honors their faith. Why? Because this is a marker, this is a stamp, it's an imprint of the transforming power of the gospel. This is is what happens to someone who has been made new in Christ that even when it's costly, Jesus has my obedience. Even when it's costly. He has my obedience. Whether he allows me to escape or he calls me to endure, the answer is yes. He has, and listen, only the gospel can do that. Only the gospel can transition and give me that perspective. Only only having my heart of stone removed and been given a heart of flesh and having been born again and having seen Jesus as the Savior and the highest value in all the universe, only in that can I have a heart that says, even if it costs me everything, the answer is yes. It's yes. Yes. What we see in God's word and even promised from Jesus is that persecution is not unusual. It's actually normal for followers of Christ. It's the norm. Not being persecuted is the exception. Jesus said this in Luke chapter 21, verse 16. He said, you will be delivered up. Even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends. And some of you, they will put to death And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. In John 15, Jesus is still teaching this very hard truth in verse 18. He says, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you. Well, we got a, a lot of people who labor to be loved by the world. Jesus is calling you to something better. He's calling you to something better. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. And remember this, the, world that I, the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Aren't you glad that with Jesus there was no bait and switch? <laughs> Aren't you glad that he didn't say, hey, come follow me, it's going to be awesome. Listen, no problems, everything's going to work out, your kids won't sin, your in-laws are never going to be ridiculous, it's just going to be fantastic. There's no bait and switch with Jesus, right? What did he say? He looked at those fishermen, said, I want you to leave everything you know and come and die with me. I want you to drop those nets and come pick up a cross and follow after me. Following Jesus is costly. Paul is trying to encourage his son in the faith, a young pastor named Timothy, and he's trying to keep him encouraged as he stepped into this pastorate. And he says in verse 3, chapter 12, he says, Timothy, indeed, all, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Which means this, if you want to live a life that makes a kingdom impact, if you want to live a life with a truly biblical worldview, if God's word is going to shape how you see and do everything, If you want to live a life where you call sin, sin. If you want to live a life where you hold up the standard of God's holiness and His purity, if you want to live that kind of life, it is going to cost you. It's going to cost you. You're going to face persecution. If you want to live a life where you openly share Jesus as Lord and Savior and the only way to heaven. It's going to come at a cost. Did you know that right now, in 2021, some 300,000 people die every single year for their faith in Jesus? I just want to sit with that number for a minute. That is roughly three times the size of Longview and Gilmer combined, roughly. 300,000 people who just desired to live a godly life, to be obedient to Jesus, and it cost them everything. More people have died in this century than in the previous 19 combined, easy to forget that. It's easy to ignore that. That's not really leading the way in what the news is telling you. And it's easy to forget this. It's easy to ignore this here in East Texas. But listen, even in our culture, there is a growing disdain for authentic Christianity. Christianity. And persecution is on the rise. It's becoming increasingly more difficult for us to follow Jesus. And we need to hear the voice of these martyrs reminding us that following Jesus is costly. Here's the second thing I think they tell us. Most of your obedience will not be rewarded in this life. (laughs) You're like, listen, Pastor, it's raining outside. Uh, I came in this place soaked, and that's the first two points of your sermon? Come on, man. What is this nonsense? (laughs) I'm dripping wet and you come out with this going to cost me everything and I'm never, I'm sorry. It's God's word. Hold on. Most of your obedience will not be rewarded in this life. Look at verse 39. And all of these, so talking about all these who endured that persecution, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. Each of these believers had walked faithfully with Jesus. They had been obedient to his call and it had cost them everything. They endured a hardship, mistreatment. They endured death. And listen, they never received on this side of eternity the fulfillment of the promises that they had put their hope in. They never received on this side of eternity the fulfillment of the promises where they had pushed all their chips in the middle of the table with Jesus and put all their eggs in the basket. They didn't see the fulfillment of that on this side of eternity. And yet, they were faithful until the very end. Why? Because they understood something. And it was that the promises of God and the rewards that were theirs were not bound or found in this world. They had come to understand that the reward of faithfulness to Jesus would never be found in this world, and it was not bound to this world. The writer of Hebrews kind of reminds us of this right out of the gate, right in the first verse of Hebrews 11. He's kind of given us the essence of what faith is and reminding us that the reward is not found here. And look at what he says. He says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. It is the conviction of things, what? Not seen. Well, what does that mean? So faith is the confidence. It's having this confidence, this assurance that the things we cannot see, the things that are still in the future, the things that we are hoping for, will happen just as God has promised they will happen. These, are, these, these martyrs we're looking at were confident that no matter what happened in this life, God would make good on his promises. Do you believe that God is a promise keeping God? Oh, he keeps his promises. He keeps his promises. And because they believed that, right up to the end, they were commended in God's word for their faith. William Barclay said it this way. He said, faith is not the hope which looks forward with wistful longing. It is the hope which looks forward with utter certainty. It is not the hope which takes refuge in a perhaps. It is the hope which is founded on a conviction. That's faith. You know, when Paul wrote his second letter to the church at Corinth, this was a church that had experienced ups and downs. They had experienced thriving. But when he wrote this letter, they were experiencing persecution. They were in a city that had dozens and dozens of gods in Corinth, and, and they were being severely persecuted and he's writing to them and he's trying to help them remember this faith in Christ is not about what you see and it's not about the reward you get to hold in your hands now. I want you to see what he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 16. He says this, so in all of this and all that you are enduring, so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, it's being persecuted, it's being pressed out, it's being being killed, it's being sacrificed, it's being tormented, it's being mistreated, it's being ridiculed. Though this outer self is wasting away, what's happening? Our inner self is being renewed day by day. Why? One of the greatest scriptures in all of God's word for this light and momentary affliction is preparing for you, for us, an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Somebody say yes and amen. 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 While we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Doesn't that sound a whole lot like Hebrews 1? Faith is being able to trust and put your hope in what you cannot see. And Paul says, you want to endure this persecution? You want to endure this suffering? It is about having your eyes filled fixed on the things you cannot see because what you can see will not last forever. But the thing you were hoping for in Christ cannot be taken, it cannot be diminished, it cannot be tarnished, it cannot be removed. It is yours in Christ. And in that view, having been captured by that, every hardship you endure you can stand and call it a light, momentary affliction. I I have to believe that for the 300,000 that died last year and the 300,000 that will die this year, that the Lord God is going to whisper, This is a light and momentary affliction compared to the weight of glory that is beyond all comparison. Hold fast. Don't give up. Endure to the end because what you are experiencing today is light and momentary in comparison to what it is preparing for you. (laughs) Isn't that good news? God, give us the vision for that. But it doesn't make this easy. We can can know that God's promises find their yes and their truth and their certainty in Jesus, but not all of them are given and obtained on this side of eternity. All of these Old Testament heroes were, were living in anticipation of what would be theirs when Jesus came. And we, as his believers now, are living in anticipation of what will be ours when he comes again. Do you believe he's coming again, by the way? That is a a reality I hope you rest in. I hope you work in. I hope you live in. That any day could be the day when he parts the sky and comes again. And do you find yourself longing for that day? Does anybody else just look around and just think, Lord Jesus, come on. Come on. Do you long for it or do you fear it? Do you dread it or do you want it? you want it? I think for some, it actually sparks fear in us, and not a holy, reverent, God honoring fear, but a fear that says, if he comes today, I'm in trouble. If I see you this morning, if your honest confession is, if the Lord returned today, I do not actually know where I would spend eternity. I don't know. I want you to know that you can know this Jesus today. He can transform your heart today. He can give you a new heart. He can take that heart of stone, give you a heart of flesh. He made the way by the blood he paid and shed on the cross for your sins. And in just simply trusting that he is the Lord of the universe and he can save you by simply saying, Jesus, I need you to be the savior of my life in that moment you can turn that question mark into an exclamation point. I I just want you to know that today. The Lord is coming again. But I think there's times where as we are waiting for that return, we get discouraged. We can get discouraged because we don't see the reward of the promises right now. And we can find ourselves doubting and we can find ourselves struggling and wondering if God has forgotten us. And if we're honest, wondering if God is really worth what it's costing us to obey him. We start walking through that, and if that's you this morning, I want you to hear me say this. Yes, he's worth it, and you're not alone in that. (laughs) I think sometimes Christians, y'all, we do each other a disservice by acting like we don't struggle with doubt. Right? We do. I do. These some of these heroes in God's word absolutely did. I want you to think about John the Baptist for a minute. Think about this man. This is the man that the Old Testament prophesied was going to go before Jesus, declare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. That was John the Baptist. He was going out and declaring. And when we see John the Baptist, he, he comes onto the scene and, and he begins to do that, to declare that a kingdom is coming, to declare that one is coming, who John isn't even worthy to bend over and undo his sandals. And John the Baptist gets arrested. And he gets arrested by Herod because he called sin, sin. Because he goes, that's not right. And you shouldn't do that. Simply by holding up the standard of God's holiness and his godliness, he was arrested. And he was imprisoned. And he spent so long in that prison that he began to get discouraged. And the same man who outside of the prison saw Jesus, made everybody stop what they were doing, look over at Christ, and he just declared, Behold, the Lamb of God, there he is, who takes away the sin of the world. The same man in the prison sent word to Christ and said, I just got to ask you something. Are you really the one we've been waiting for? (laughs) That's who John the Baptist was. And oh, by the way, he died there. John never left prison. He was beheaded by Herod because he was obedient. Listen, God always keeps his promises. He keeps his promises. And when we pursue them by faith and pursue him, even when we don't see what he's doing, we can trust that he's doing it. We can trust that the reward is I love that song we sing, Waymaker, that little part that says, even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. Even when I can't make it work in my mind, I know the God of the universe is working. Hebrews 11, chapter 6 says this, And without faith it is impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and, ready, that he rewards those who seek him. Faith that endures today's hardships and today's persecution is a faith that has fixed its eyes on eternity's reward. God will always reward those who seek him. But that reward will mostly be in the life to come and not in this one. So that's the first thing. Following Jesus is costly. And we don't see... Most of that reward, this side of eternity. But here's the last point. While those things are true, the voice of the martyrs are also reminding us that Jesus is more valuable than everything in this world. He is more valuable than everything in this world. When we look at these verses, we see the severity of what these Christians went through starting in verse 35 of Hebrews 11, I immediately, my mind thinks toward those early Christians, those first century Christians in Acts, and even their children who were believers. I I think of Nero. You remember this crazy cat, Nero? Rome burned, the entire city of Rome burned in AD 64. And um, Nero decided it would be most convenient to blame the Christians for burning the city of Rome. And so the Christians came under a severe persecution, and one of the ways he began to persecute the Christians, having blamed them for the entire city burning to the ground, was he would take them and he would tie them to posts and pyres in his garden, and he would set them on flame while they were alive to light his garden parties. He would burn them at night in his garden to light the parties he was throwing. For this light and momentary affliction is preparing for you an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. And so we do not lose heart. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release. Why? Verse 35, so that they might rise again to a better life. They were faithful because they believed that Jesus offered something that was more precious and more valuable than everything else in this life. They followed God with this reckless abandon because they considered knowing him and having him far more valuable than anything else this world could offer. You see this all through Hebrews 11. I'm telling you this is a powerful chapter of God's word. Um, earlier on in this chapter, these saints are described as, as seeking a greater city or a greater home. In verse 24, it talks about Moses. Just remember him for a moment. Uh, for a moment. Moses was the grandson of Pharaoh, right? So he was raised in opulence. He was raised with everything the world says he needed. He was the grandson of the most powerful man on the planet. He had no problems, no worries. And yet, he chose to abandon that life of privilege and wealth to be identified and united and to suffer with the people of God. And listen to what it says in verse 26. It says, talking about Moses, he considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth Than the treasures of Egypt. For he was looking to the reward. (laughs) And what was the reward he was looking for? He was looking toward Jesus. He was recognizing that Jesus was greater value than everything in Egypt. Everything that Egypt had to offer. It was a better treasure for him to be mistreated with Jesus than to have all the pleasure of Egypt. Only the gospel can do that. I think these men and women we're looking at had had discovered something, and I think they are shouting something out to us this morning because they had discovered the most beautiful and glorious reality in all the universe, and it is this. Jesus is better, and Jesus is worth it. Better than what? Yes. Yep. You fill in the blank, and he's better. He's better. Then my family's success, yes. Then my family's safety, yes. He's better. Then our financial security, yep. He's better. He's worth it. Pastor Todd said this this week, and I I wanted you guys to see this. I just thought it was so powerful. He said, whatever you see as the highest value is what you will make the greatest sacrifices to obtain. Whatever you see as the highest value in your life, so whatever you see as extremely, ultimately valuable above anything else, whatever that is, you will make the greatest sacrifices to obtain that. So what is the highest value in your life? When I ask you to truly consider what is the greatest treasure of your life, what is it? Because what I believe Jesus teaches us is that you will sacrifice anything to obtain that. And I think for so many of us, we take, we would say, yes, I love Jesus, but I love him like I love a lot of other things in my life. He's a treasure on a shelf, and on Sundays, this is the treasure I pull down, and I take this treasure to church, and I hold this treasure up as supreme. But on Monday, I don't know that he's that. Is he that treasure? Is he the greatest treasure in your life? I I can't help but think of um, just the picture of, of, of of an athlete comes to mind. I was a mediocre athlete at best on my best day, Um, But I had the same desire to win that my whole team had But what I noticed was our whole team really wanted to win. We really did But there was a group of guys on our team That were different Than the rest of us talking about me There was this group of guys that not only did they want to win listen They were going to do whatever it took to win These were the guys that when I got to the gym, they were already there (laughs) And when I left the gym, they were still there. They were getting up early. They were going to bed late. They were watching film. They were changing what they ate. They were, they were coming into practice early. They were, these were the dudes. You remember the guys who, when everybody else had finished running wind sprints, there were four or five guys who were like, hey, let's run some more. I was like, man, I'm going to knock you out in front of everybody. I'm out here about the You know what I mean? There was a difference between all of us wanting to win and those who are willing to do whatever it took to reach the goal. Because what they said was, if winning is my treasure, then whatever it costs me to get it is worth it. That's what they said. I, I want you to hear me say this. When Jesus becomes the highest value of your life, when he becomes what you treasure most, then there is nothing in this world you would not be willing to sacrifice to have him and to serve him and to advance his mission. We've looked, a lot of, looked at a lot of amazing people over the last four weeks. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, Daniel, Peter, and John. All these, Hebrews, all these you know, heroes in Hebrews chapter 11. And all of these had experienced something so transformational in God, so powerful in Jesus that the cost of obedience paled in comparison to the reward of faithfulness. Is that true of you this morning? Is Jesus the greatest treasure of your life? If he's one of many treasures, I have to ask, do you know him at all? Because I don't see anywhere in God's word where it says I can fully know Jesus and treat him like everything else. If your confession this morning is, I like Jesus. I I come to church because I feel good and I like what I hear. But you don't know if you have made Jesus the treasure of your heart. Has there been a moment where you recognized you were a sinner and you were lost and in need of a Savior and you had your eyes on Jesus and he saved you and he made you new and he gave you a new heart and maybe you hadn't been perfect but you can see in this moment Jesus changed my life. I'm new because of him. If that has not happened for you, it needs to happen today. And hear me say, I don't, I'm not asking, did you say some words when you were a kid? I'm not even asking if you've been baptized before. I'm asking, have you been changed? Have you been made new? Have you been made alive? When Jesus becomes the greatest treasure of our life, there is nothing in this world we won't give up to have him and serve him. And advance his mission. I heard a powerful interview this week. Um, this pastor who had to remain in hiding. His face was covered and distorted. They distorted his voice. He's a pastor right now in Iran. And um, he was a believer. And his wife was um, a Muslim. She converted to Christianity. And now they are pastoring an underground church in Iran, and in this radical Islamic country, they are seeing hundreds and thousands of Muslims converted to Christ. It's happening right now. Right now it's happening. And every Muslim that is converted to Christ immediately has to run from their family, go into hiding, or they'll die. And yet, they're being converted by the hundreds and thousands. And so they ask him, Pastor, what, what do you attest that to? What do you attest that to? He said this. When they asked him why there was such an awakening happening in Iran, he said, because people are realizing that they can follow every rule of Islam and still be completely empty and without hope. Now, it's easy to look at that and go, yeah, that's right. But didn't I just describe our culture? That they could have everything in this culture, everything that East Texas says you need to be successful and still be completely empty and without hope. I want you to hear my heart this morning. If you feel that sense of emptiness... Today is the day of salvation, not tomorrow, not I'm going to go think about it, not let me just see if Jesus is what's really going He's the answer. He's the treasure. He's the fulfillment. He's the awakening. He's what satisfies. He is what satisfies beyond anything you are trying right now to satisfy yourself and wondering why it doesn't work because it's not Jesus. He's the answer. And I am imploring you this morning, come and give your life to him. Don't be a cultural Christian. Don't be the person that checks the box. If you've not been transformed, come and meet the Lord of the universe. He wants to save you today. So have you trusted Him? Here's a second question I want to ask you, and that is, are you walking obediently with Him? You've heard me ask this question before. Does Jesus have your full surrender to do with your life whatever he wants to do? Well, I mean, yeah, he can kind of do what he wants to do. Does Jesus have your full surrender to do with your life, listen, whatever he wants to do? But what if it doesn't work out? Yep. What if we lose? I know. What about my children? I, I know. Does he have your full surrender to do with your life whatever he wants to do? So here's how we're going to respond this morning. Pastor Zeke and the team are just going to lead us. He's going to lead us singing a great hymn, I Surrender All. And our team is going to be right down here. And if you have not made Jesus the Lord of your life, you need to come and do that today. Some of you have heard the Holy Spirit say, that's you, come on. And if your confession would be I'm not walking with him, he doesn't have my full surrender, but I need to come and just surrender that. You can come to this altar and pray. You can kneel there and pray. You can come and we will pray with you. But my challenge is don't just stand still. Let's step out in obedience for the king who is the highest value in the universe. Amen. Father, I love you and I'm so grateful for the power of your word. And I'm praying over these next moments as we worship and sing. Holy Spirit, truly that you would move among us. That you would move among us in Jesus' name.